This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Today we're going to be talking about generosity. Uh, So if you're new to our church and you're like, I always pick it on the right Sundays, uh, the church wants my money. No, (laughs) Uh, we uh, want... Uh, you to have the heart of God. God loves generosity and he calls us to it. We're going to be talking about that today, but before we do, we want to start with a word of prayer. Would you join me? Father, today uh, we turn our hearts toward the nations and we start by praying for Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan, uh, the turmoil in that nation uh, right now, and uh, our role as a nation. Uh, in it, I pray for our leaders that they would use discernment and wisdom and strength uh, as they seek to uh, rescue people in that nation, as they see, seek to rescue uh, uh, citizens of the United States and allies as well as uh, the people of Afghanistan. I pray for uh, our military uh, as they um, run that airport and as they protect the airport, as they uh, decide um, who to let through and who to get uh, on planes, uh, as we watch from here, it seems like utter chaos. And uh, we just ask for for you to give them uh, strength and courage uh, during this time. And we are grateful for them and their leadership there. For the people of Haiti, as they rebuild and as they uh, seek to... uh, not only provide for their daily needs, their physical needs, uh, but as they think through the future as well. And for the missionaries, I know many have been rescued from Afghanistan. Many still stay and choose to stay to take the gospel to the people of Afghanistan. Many are in Haiti. Uh, Our missionaries that are in Haiti, we are grateful for them and ask that you give them wisdom, not just for the daily needs, the supplies, just for the daily needs, but uh, vision and wisdom or for the future and how to best uh, care for the people of Haiti. And for our church, as we talk today about generosity, uh, that we as a people are able to play a part in uh, the work in Afghanistan, the work in Haiti, and to the nations of the earth. We want to do this well. And we thank you for all of this. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray it. Amen. So uh, when we talk about your relationship with God and money, Uh, A lot of times people can think this message is coming from the perspective that we need it. Uh, We're going into budget, so we need to make sure we meet budget. And I, you know, every few years we do a message like this. Some of you went to churches growing up that uh, once a year they would do a series on stewardship. I don't know, for some reason a lot of churches chose February for stewardship month. And I just want to start by saying how grateful I am that this is a generous church And your generosity that flows to the people of this church family, of this community, of this nation, and to the ends of the earth, uh, we say thank you. And so today is not about meeting a budget or getting uh, our, our needs met here. You have done that and you have gone above and beyond that, that we're able to respond in times of crisis uh, to help uh, people here and around the world. So we are grateful uh, last week, we started with Shanti and Jeff Feldhahn just enter, entering this conversation of money. And we looked at that a lot of us have been taught habits, you know, budgets, percentages to save and give and spend. And I love how Shanti put it last week. That's really step two. 
Step two, taking a class on the mechanics of budgeting and all that and envelopes and all the different systems that you could have. That's a great second step. But the first step is to look at the heart. And today we want to learn the heart behind how we handle money. And we read last week Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 21, where he said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I had more fun with this at the 8.30. Let's see how this goes at 10 to decide if we do this at 11.30. If you have ever received a speeding ticket in your life, would you raise your hand and keep it raised? Now, I want you, first of all, start right there. Out in the courtyard, gathering place. We're going to start with how fast your hands went up right there. And I just looked around, and it wasn't just hands going. Keep them up for a second, because I'm going to find out who the the biggest criminals in the room are. (laughs) Not only do your hands go up fast, there's a certain level of cockiness some of you set your hand up with, and you're still sitting there like this. Okay, If, if, if it was 20 miles an hour over the speed limit or less, put your hand down. See, look at that, it's about half the room. 30 miles or less, put your hands down. 40 miles per hour over the speed limit or less. Put your hands down. Oh, wait till you hear about the sins of 830. I can't believe we don't have six people in jail out of that service. Watch. Watch. Are you all ready? 50 miles an hour or less. Put your hands down. Bruce Pettigrew, you are a man of God. How fast? How many miles over the speed limit? 75 miles an hour. Oh, he was in a 35 mile an hour zone. I wouldn't let that second piece out, Bruce. That's worse. Did you lose your license or go to jail? Almost. <laughs> he said almost for all those out in the court. Anybody beat that? 75? What? Carson, What? How fast? Listen, listen. We were going to do a series starting next week called Armor, where we go through the armor of God. We're going straight to Romans 13 and teaching you how to obey and submit to authority. You're terrible at it. Now, all of that to say, watch. And don't raise your hand on this next one. If I were to ask you, to do the exact same thing we just did with uh, your credit score. Yeah, I don't think we'd see. Right? I, I, if I were to ask you to do that with your credit card debt, yeah. we wouldn't be as braggadocious as we are with our criminal activity. And I want you to know, Sheriff Raider goes to this church. So I'm assuming the rest of you are Taney County people and Brad's problem, not... Man, okay, that is something. All of that to say, though, that just proves how sensitive of a topic this is. When we talk about our money and our relationship to it, and ultimately our relationship to God, this is something we hold a lot closer. We're not shooting our hands up as fast. And that's why Jesus said, went on in Matthew 6 to say, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And today we're going to see money is not the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all kinds of evil. 
It is the love of money. You cannot love God and love money. If you have a love for money, you cannot have a love for God. And so what we're going to talk about today is, is authority. And I, I see it all the time. And I would say most people in here, if I were to ask you, do you believe in God? The answer is yes. But a bigger question than that is, do you trust God? You say you believe in God, but do you trust him? Do you take him at his word for how he tells us? And today we're going to look at four parts of the heart when it comes to money. This, the step one, before we get to habits and what to do and the management of it, we want to deal with the heart of it. Uh, years ago, I, I took a psychological profile test. It was like 20 years ago. I was uh, going to a church in Forsyth. Pat Kershaw was on the pastor search committee there. And she made Amy and I take this psychological test uh, from Pepperdine University that you, that you ended up getting a book about it afterwards, about how all your problems in life and your problems areas and all this. And it was real weird questions, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions. And it was questions like, when you walk by shadows, do you think someone's going to jump out at you? And, and then I love this one. Have you ever been eating soup thinking it was poisoned? These are the type of questions. Anybody here ever think their soup was poisoned? Let me just see where, yeah. I was like, no, but maybe I should. Maybe I didn't know this was an issue. <laughs> but then it gives you a report. And one of the top things, like the top thing it said about my personality and my psyche is that I love authority. I love systems and structures of authority. And, and here's what the cool part is. You hear that and you're like, oh, so this guy's on a power trip. No, I actually prefer to be the second, third, fourth in charge I just like to know who's in charge. You know what I'm talking about? And I like, I like to know who's in charge. And I like that person to be decisive. And I like that person to be competent. And I like that person to make good decisions. Some of you are th- thinking about your boss right now. It's hard, right? It's hard following an incompetent person. And many of you go to work every day and you're like, I'm so much brighter than she is. I'm so much brighter than he is, right? But... So it might, and, and they listed like the jobs I should consider. Well, I had already chosen and felt called by God to be a pastor. But the number one thing it said I should be is a military officer. Wow. And, and again, it doesn't matter what my rank is. I just, my, my personality pulls towards that structure and knowing who's in charge and had a, a great opportunity to experience this and forgot how much I loved this. Uh, I was able a few weeks ago to go to the Garth Brooks concert and you're like, oh, here he's bragging, going to finally bring up that he went to see Garth Brooks. I've been waiting 30 years to see Garth Brooks. And one of our teaching team members, Adam Donier, knows that I've been waiting for this and he's at Arrowhead Stadium. And Adam and Stephanie took Amy and I to the concert. And, and I told him, I said, I can't make any promises, but I could get pretty emotional. Uh, there's, if tomorrow never comes, comes out and he sings it to somebody and I'm probably going to lose it. And, and Adam, we don't like really crying together. We're not that type of friends. Uh, but if you don't know Adam, he is a strong person. I guess you'd know that he teaches up here <laughs> a lot. And he just, that's just his, per- there's sometimes when he's teaching, oh, I didn't see that one coming and everything. He is a strong personality. But here's, here's what I, I want you to know, and I think you already know this about Adam. He's very competent. He's very sharp. And le- make no mistake, he told me we were going, and it was going to be a 12-hour day. And I said, let me, I'll drive. So I, I picked Adam and Stephanie up. Amy and I did. We were together for 12 hours until we dropped them off. And make 
No mistake about it, Adam was in charge for all 12 hours. And I was driving. All I had to do was hold the wheel. But he was clearly in charge. We get to the stadium. He gets us a great parking lot, parking lot E, which is right next to the main doors. And I pull into a great spot and I pull through. And Adam's like, I don't think I'd park here. And he was trying to be real gentle about it. He goes, he points to the space he wants me to park in. And I'm like, no problem. I pull up there. Not only does he point to the space he wants me to park in, he tells me how to park in that space. He says, I'd back into that space if I were you. And I did. And then he took us everywhere. I followed him the entire day. He took us through the bowels of Arrowhead Stadium, the locker room, the press room, to our seats. And he he said, I don't want to tell you when we're supposed to leave, but we can either leave and be on the highway in two to three minutes, or we can leave and be on the highway in two to three hours. And I go, well, Garth always ends on the dance, so we can leave right after the dance, and I'm good. And I just... And then he had an encore with Trish, so I haven't talked to Adam since uh, that, that day. But we dropped Adam off at like 2 a.m., Adam and Stephanie off. And I looked at Amy and I said, that was so refreshing. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed Adam being completely in charge for 12 hours. And, and I wrestled with it. Because I, I just tell you, when we go to airports as a family, guess who's in charge? Guess who has to know where the gate is, what time we need to leave, where the bathrooms are on the way to the gate, where the connecting city is. I'm in charge of all of that. And when your kids are very small and you're typing in your advantage number and you're typing in all the details on the kiosk and your kids are wanting to show you trailers from Marvel movies, you're like, not right now. (laughs) We got to get through TSA. Let's get through TSA before we talk about random stuff, right? So I'm always like on edge. And this is why, and dads are relating to me right now because, and you wonder what your kids are always like, why dad always in such a bad mood on vacation? Because we're in charge. And being in charge can be exhausting. But I told Amy, I love following people who know what they're doing and are competent and go. So, and, and many of you, you've struggled in life with people who can't make decisions when you've worked for them. And, and, and you're like, I don't know if I even trust them. So I'm going to ask you the question again. You say you believe in God. Do you trust God? Because the, the area we talk about today is one of, those, one of those things where you can completely trust him and follow him. You can follow him and you can lay your head on the pillow at night and rest knowing I did the right thing. I trusted him. And today what we see with a lot of people, they want to believe in God, but they want to tell you what they think about the scripture. Let me just tell you, what you think about the scripture doesn't change the scripture. This is one of those areas where we need to trust God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes 5 and 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to be in both there, those places today, and we're going to be in a lot of other places. We're covering a lot of scripture today as we look at four parts of the heart. And the first heart that we want to see today is a heart of stewardship. God owns it all. Everything you have, you are not an owner. I am not an owner. I am a steward. I am a manager. I am to care for what God has entrusted to me. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses 18 to 20. And I want you to see all the times in this text where where gift is referred to. The creator, almighty God, the one we believe in and trust in and follow, okay, has gifted us what we have. And you're going to see this multiple times. This is what I have observed to be good, Solomon says, that it is appropriate 
for a person to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. The word toilsome there means grueling. Life upon the earth and our work can be challenging and grueling and seem to like never come to an end. Under the sun, during the few days of life, so the few days of life, theme throughout all of scripture, but the brevity of life, it's a vapor, it's a mist, like a breath. But look at, this is where it starts. The creator of the universe is also the sustainer of it. He gives you the very breath you take now. The few days of life God has given. So start there. He's given you your life. He sustains your life. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God... Now, he didn't just give you your life. When God gives someone wealth and possessions... If you get time today, I want you to go on uh, YouTube and type in... Jimmy Stewart, Shenandoah. Great movie. It's a 22-second clip of him praying at the table. And I can't quote the prayer exactly, but it goes something like this. God, we worked hard for this food. We sweat for it. We labored for it. We were were dog-bone tired getting it off there, but we thank you nonetheless for what you have provided. The whole emphasis of the prayer is on what they did, and he's misunderstanding in that movie stewardship. That it all comes from God. He gives wealth and possessions. And then not only that, and the ability to enjoy them. I love how Shanti pulled that out last week to say, yes, we should save for the future. Yes, we should put something away for days when it may be difficult. That's a good thing to do. The scripture teaches that. That's wisdom. But she said, don't overlook enjoying the good gifts that God gives you now. Don't be so obsessed with retirement. Don't be so obsessed with the future, don't be so obsessed with your 401k that you don't enjoy the food and drink that's on your table this very day. He not only gives this to you, he wants you to enjoy them. To accept their lot and be happy in this, this is a gift of God. Look at, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God, here it is again, keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. You know what he's saying here? When, when you understand ownership, that it all is God's and it comes to you from him. He keeps you occupied with him, not the stuff. You stay occupied, glad. You delight in the creator more than his creation. We're called to care for his creation. We're called to worship the creator. And keeping that in mind, and this is why the covenant that was made with Israel, we read this in Proverbs Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord, Lord, with your wealth. Right? Remember the Lord with your wealth. Remember that it all came from Him and comes from Him with the first fruits of all your crops. You bring the first fruits to the storehouse. This is recognition of the fact that God owns it all. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and this was a sign of blessing to the children of Israel, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And I have several friends in this church that have given me defining moments. Like over the last 20 years, they get this ownership and stewardship issue. I have one friend who told me years ago when we were starting the church, he said, Ted, I just want to make sure you're clear on something. I said, what's that? He goes, everything I own, everything I have is yours. And I was like, what? He goes, if I have something you need or something you want, say the word and it's yours. Anybody have any friends like that? That's like, 
And some of you are like, I want to ask, how many of you are like that? I, wasn't, I, just, I just couldn't, I couldn't even process where he was coming from. But he's like, everything I have, it's yours. You know why he was able to say that? Because he realized everything he had wasn't his. Everything he had wasn't owned by him. His, his name may have been on the title at the, the bank, or his name may have been on the title in his safe, but God owns it all. And gave it to him. And he, he understood, I'm not just one who receives the blessings of God. I'm a conduit for it. I'm a channel for it. It comes to me and goes out. Weird. And this, was, this is the type of guy you have to be very careful on. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Some of you don't. And that's okay because it's one of the best parts of a steward is when they're secretive about it. When they, when they give in quiet. And I, he's the type that you can't comment on anything in life because he, he will provide it for you. We were driving down the road one day in fall here in the Ozarks, and oh, the trees were popping. I mean, the reds and the orange and the yellow. And my wife loves fall. And if you don't love fall, you cannot be friends with my wife. That's how much she loves fall. And I was telling him that and joking with him, and I said, look at these trees. They're beautiful. And that's all I'm saying. I'm complimenting the trees, God's creation. And my friend dials up the phone and orders four red maple trees to deliver to my house. I'm like, what are you doing? He said, well, you said you liked them. Like, yeah, I like a lot of, I like that Escalade coming my way right here. (laughs) But you don't see me, you can't call that out because you would have been like, all right. uh." But boy, there, there, and and let me, those are big picture ones. There was in the first service, my friend who's been a part of this church, one of the founding members of this church, part of the group that got Woodland Hill started, John Jenkins. I was building a shed in my backyard probably 19 years ago now. And he has this beautiful wood level that he brought over. And he said, yeah, you can't. I had one of those little $20 ones, you know, aluminum ones. And he goes, You're, you can't really build a big structure with a tiny level. Use this one. Y'all, 19 years later, that level is still in my garage. <laughs> and every time I walk by it, I go, that's John's. I feel terrible. I should probably give it back, you know, to him. But I will say this, a couple of times in the first few years of having it, I go, John, I got your level. I got to get it to you. And you know what he said? I love it. John said, hey, it's yours. Don't worry about it. I don't want it. He texted me after the first service. I got to tell you what he texted me. This is so great. He said, I've been, uh, I've been blessed with more than I need. He said, the level is yours. He says, I think 10 years is the statue of limitations on ownership. <laughs> And I said, you are a generous friend. I would, like to come, I would like you to come over to my garage and pick out something real nice for yourself. <laughs> and he goes, well, Ty is needing a car. Uh, do you have any of those in your garage right now? And I said, have a great day, John. <laughs> Be blessed. Look at me talking to the texting. Like, um, But I'm just going to put this up there, and I want you to start mimicking this picture. I don't even have to say a word once this comes up. Just start doing what this picture tells you to do. It's all the parents. Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. Boy, what does God hear when we're saying mine, 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 mine? Some of us have this tight grip on our stuff and our possessions that God has given us that God has given us to enjoy, and that God has given us to bless others with. 
Every pastor I know has this illustration. I've heard it probably a dozen times from different pastors, and I love it, of French fries. And you remember taking your children, young children, and some of you are doing it right now, but our kids are older now, but you take a three-year-old through the drive-thru, you get them a Happy Meal. Happy Meal, you deliver the Happy Meal to the back, you're a mile away from McDonald's, and you just do what? I just want one. And you reach back, and what does your kid say? Mine. And you know what you want to do? You, you, want to, you want to go over to Central Bank, which is right across the parking lot from McDonald's. You want to take out the maximum amount they let you, $600. Go back through the drive-thru. Fill the back seat with French fries. As a lesson to this unemployed three-year-old. <laughs> who has nothing. Who owns nothing. Everything I've given you is from me, your dad. How dare you use the word mine? It's not yours. But how many of us have that attitude with God? It's mine. You have a family member in need? It's mine. I can't. If I give it to you, I won't have it to give later. But don't say to your friend, don't say to a family member, don't say to a neighbor, come back tomorrow when you have it with you to give now. A heart of stewardship. That moves us to the heart of contentment. Contentment. This is where we deal with when our desire outruns our possessions. We read this in Ecclesiastes again, chapter 5. Whoever loves money. So see it there again. It's the love of money. The person who loves money will never have enough. The person who loves money will never have enough vehicles. They'll never have the latest... Uh, gadget enough. They'll be so bored with the latest device they got six months ago, they'll be ready for the next. Love never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And this is why the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-10, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And that's why when we pray, we're to pray what? Give us this day our annual bread. No, that's not what it says. Give us this day our daily bread. And we will be content. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here it is again, I want you to see it's not money, it's not entrepreneurship that's the problem. It's not a desire to build business. That's not the issue. It's the love of money that affects your relationship with God. Because you can't love both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. That plunges us into all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17 reads, Command those who are rich. In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Have a 401k, great. Just don't put your hope in it. Have savings for the future, just don't put your hope in it. Have a pension, just don't put your hope in it. Look forward to that social security check. (laughs) Just don't put your hope in it. (laughs) Which is so, what? Uncertain. I think I'm going to get a social security check in 20 years. I don't, maybe it's uncertain. It's not guaranteed. 
who richly provides us, here it is again, with everything for our, look at here it is again, for our enjoyment. Look at all throughout scripture. So it's the heart of stewardship. It's the heart of contentment. And as we move toward giving, I'm going to encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians 9. We're to do all of this giving with the heart of cheerfulness. We don't use guilt and shame at this church to give people to give. We don't do that with volunteers either. We don't tell you, oh, you know, money's tight and volunteers are tight. We used to give your kids five, you know, goldfish crackers when they came into the class. We're down to two per kid. Like, we don't, we don't do any of that stuff here. That's that, ugh, that's icky. But, but we want you, when you give, to give with such joy and excitement. And when you're giving with joy, it really settles those first two that we looked at. You understand who owns it all. You're not stressed about, I can't give it now. If I give it now, I won't have anything to give later. I had, that's that scarcity mindset that many of us deal with. I just, we got back from a, a trip uh, last week uh, to Alaska, and I was able to lead a fishing trip disguised as a marriage retreat. And I always want to encourage you to do it. We had folks from our church that were there, and... It was like the last salmon run of the summer. And I don't feel I deal with the scarcity mindset, but I guess the fisherman in me just came out. But we would stand there on the bank of the river, the Kenai River, right there at the resort that we stayed at, and just one right after another. 24 hours a day, these fish are running, and I'm just sitting there. And they'd say, hey, you ready to eat? And I'm like, no. We are fit. There's fish right here. I'd wake up in the morning. I can't explain it to you. I was panicky. I was like, <gasps> Why are my waiters not on yet? I should be out there. And the owner of the resort would go, you want breakfast? And I'd be like, and I didn't say this on the outside. I was kind, but on the inside, I'm like, oh, no. We got to get out there because we've missed thousands of fish in the last hour. <laughs> but I think that's how a lot of us deal with all of this. We don't find joy in giving because we're like, oh, if I give it, I won't have it. That, that's not at all the mentality of a disciple of Jesus. And by the way, if you love that word discipleship and you're always talking about going deeper and getting deeper in the word and diving in, I encourage you, go deep with this topic and the topic of generosity. I can tell a lot about how much of a disciple of Jesus you are by your level of cheerfulness and contentment and your desire to give with a joyful heart. We read that in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. It's the person that has the scarcity mindset. Like, I got to be out there. I got to get them while the getting's good. Listen, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Guess what? The, the, unless something major happens, the salmon run's going to happen again next year. I may or may not be there, but I know where to go if I need it, right? Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So there's this level of spontaneity involved with giving. Cheerful giving is, I see a need, I'm going to meet it. I'm going to meet it right now. Yeah, so give what you've decided to give for God loves a cheerful giver. So be content, know who owns it all, just be a manager of it, give with cheerfulness, and then give as we've been talking about with generosity. This is the key. And I would pray this, this is for every single person in here, every person watching, every person outside, that we would have a heart of generosity. Continuing in 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, there it is again, it all comes from God, 
and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So get that. It's not just a physical blessing that we're, we're receiving from our generosity, but there's a spiritual blessing. And watch what happens when we understand stewardship and when we understand contentment and when we are cheerful in our giving. Watch what happens to the people around us. Not just the people that you're giving to. Not just the family member that you're helping. But those around them. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. There it is. That spontaneity. That when a need presents itself, you're ready to respond and to give. And can I just say one thing about our church? And I have to say this over and over and over again. This is what I love. When there's a crisis that hits, we don't have to stand up and wait a week to gather as a church and go, Hey, earthquake just hit Haiti. We need you to give today. We're sending money down. It's already there and ready to give. We can respond immediately and ask you continue to give well. So we can do that. So we can respond to needs in our town in our nation, around the world, on every occasion. And look at this. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's not for a pat on your back. It's not for people to recognize it and present you with a giant check. Right? That's not what we're doing this for. We are generous people because we want people to return thanksgiving to God because they see, as my friend who gives everything away that he has... That you understand it's not his anyway, it's God's. And when I receive it through this person or through that person, I return thanksgiving to God. So how do we do this practically? And if you, this comes from the heart of a pastor who loves you. And this is not to judge or condemn or to tear you down. But some of you have been a part of this church for years and you've given nothing. And I want to encourage you, if you give nothing, start today with something. Something. Now, they always get nervous, the counters of the money at the church. I don't ever see this, but they say, Ted, whenever a message like this happens and then you encourage people to give on the way out, it, we look like, you know, the, the end of a, a night at a bar where the waiters are counting their tips. It's just like a pile and amount of ones and fives. Listen, don't swing by the box today and drop two bucks just so people... Can, that's not at all. And by the way, nowadays the world, over 60% of you are giving online. So there is no need for you to walk around trying to... No, that's not at all what this is about. They, they had these shirts years ago. We were going to... I think we threw some out at our church when we used to pass the buckets where your shirt read, I give online, just so people uh, don't judge you as the buckets come by. But that's getting a little weird. Uh, but if you give nothing, give something and decide what to give. And, and if you give something, look for more opportunities to give. I had a professor at Dallas Seminary years ago. His name is Ramesh Richard. This is another defining moment in my life. Uh, he taught me about generosity really for the very first time. And he made this statement. I never forgot it. And it changed a lot about what I wanted to do and be the rest of my life as a follower of Jesus. He said, tithing is where generosity begins, not ends. Giving 10% of your income is where generosity begins, not ends. And he had all these other things he and his wife decided in their heart to give beyond tithing. And one of the things he said, and the day he said it, I knew it was from the Lord for me, and I know other students heard it. He said, my wife and I decided years ago when we got married, and he was obviously much older than me, he said, and I'm a 23-year-old 
paying cash through seminary, working two jobs. I mean, that type of thing. And I know that's what some of you are thinking. This generosity is for people who've made it. And the Hebrew term for that is, ha! <laughs> Not true. He said, my wife and I, and I'll never forget it. He had a lot of other things I forgot that he and his wife do. But Amy and I decided this is one we want to do. He said, we made the decision that 10% was the bare minimum. But we also made the decision that our mortgage payment would never be higher than our check to the church. And see, some of you right now are going, is that PMI, uh, taxes and insurance? And if you're in that mode right now, you're on the wrong page. We're talking about the heart of giving. And I remember going home and telling Amy, let's do that. Let's make that our goal, that our mortgage payment. And can I tell you, when, when he gave me that, it was something we had to work towards. Because today we're not just talking about your giving, we're talking about your living. We're talking about how you spend money so you can be generous. We're talking about how you are content and you don't need the next best thing, the greatest thing, the new technology piece. You can be content to say, hey, before I get all excited about spending another $400 on that Apple Watch or another $1,000 on that phone, what needs need to be met around me? It'll adjust the way you spend money when generosity is your priority. Eugene Cho puts it this way. Generosity is what keeps the things we own from owning us. That is the heart of God. And I hear it. Some of you right now are saying, I don't have much and it won't make a difference. And I'm here to tell you, it'll make a huge difference in your relationship with God. Whatever you give, hit the give online now button meet the needs of this church family and community and the nation and to the ends of the earth. Hit the give online button now on your way out today. Decide in your heart what you are going to give. And let's continue to be a generous church in this community. Let's be a church that when needs pop up around the world, we're able to say as a church, we're ready on this occasion to meet this need. Would you pray with me? Father, it is in the name of Jesus that I pray for the one who's never placed faith in Jesus that today would be the day they repent of their sins confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that he has been raised from the dead, that they would be saved. Thank you for the generosity of this church that has poured out time and time and time again. Continue to use this church. Continue to use each one of us as we decide in our heart to give. Some of us are already giving. Some in here are giving sacrificially. And I know they're the type to hear a message like this. And it's between you and them right now. And they're leaning in even more. Bless me, Lord, so that I can give even more. There are others who generosity giving has never been a part of their walk with you that today would be the day they decide, I will not love money. I will love you, Lord. I give my heart and my life to you. And I want money to be something that flows through me to bless those around me. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, amen.